listeners and welcome to the Unions 21 podcast, your regular digest of all that's good in the trade union world at this present time with me, Simon Sapper. And me, Becky Wright. And here we are. Happy end of the year. (gasps) Before we get all nostalgic for the year that's uh, about to pass behind us, we can't avoid talking about the big uh, trade union news at the moment. And you're certain to have heard that Business Secretary Greg Clark has announced changes to workers' rights legislation that he says is the biggest thing in 20 years. And this is packaged as the government's good work plan, uh, which itself was framed by Matthew Taylor's review, which, of course, we discussed on a previous podcast, into modern employment practices. Well, there's no doubt, I think, that the changes announced on Monday are helpful. Agency workers can't be employed on cheaper rights than direct hires. People need a statement of rights and details of their employment on day one of that employment. ET fines have been increased by 400%. And a more generous and, and fair method of calculating annual leave for workers with irregular hours will apply. But, huge but, it doesn't take a genius to spot that these are limited changes. Francis O'Grady put it absolutely right. They don't shift the lopsided balance of power in the gig economy. And a new right to request a better contract as opposed to a zero hours one gives workers no more leverage than Oliver Twist, to to quote her precisely. So fair play to Resolution Foundation Chief Torsten Bell, who was quickest out of the blocks, to point out that the government has pledged to consult on a range of further possible changes, including some very fundamental ones, like the right to switch, not a right to request, a right to switch to a contract that reflects the hours you actually work, minimum notice of shifts that you'll be expected to work, and compensation if your shift is cancelled at short notice or curtailed. Now, personally, I was delighted that this had been drawn out because they are key recommendations from the Low Pay Commission, of which regular listeners will know I am a member. And these things really would address the balance of power, which is currently loaded in favour of employers. It would make those that are delinquent get better organised, and those that are delinquent to carry the cost of bad or negligent planning. And it would give workers an entitlement to have contracts that reflect the hours they're actually working. So it's good that the government are committed to consulting on these and other measures. But frankly, given the Low Pay Commission recommendations reflect a consensus between worker reps and employer reps and academic experts, it's a real shame that greater progress hasn't been possible at a greater speed. There's also a hole where measures to improve information and consultation with employees should be. But given Taylor's original report was also somewhat light on this, this looks to be a harder one to fill in than the current deficiencies on one-sided flexibility at work. Watch this space, as they say. Becky, do, do you know, actually, you're looking looking back, and that's what we're going to do, listeners, in this episode. We're going to give you the, the greatest hits, the best of 2018, plus a few Last thoughts. Christmas, give you my heart. <laughs> a, few, a few thoughts about what 2019 is going to hold during the course okay. of this podcast. But I expect listeners like, like us, you've been on this journey. We've, we've spoken about the economy. We've spoken about... The GNB winning over Uber. We've talk, spoken about Times Up, Me Too, what organising is for. Uh, we've we've had specials with the Americans and the Swedes. We 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 looked at civil servants. We've looked at performers. We've looked at low pay. We've looked at comms. <laughs> the list isn't endless, but it's, it's it, fairly exhausting. It feels endless. We've covered a lot of ground. We have. What, what what stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, I suppose everybody kind of comes to the end of the year and is reflective and is starting to think about resolutions. And I've never really done resolutions, but I do do reflection. And it's been when I think about the podcasts that we've done and the conversations we've we've had, 
there's a there's a few things that are still kind of going round in my head I think listeners might want to kind of go back and, and re-listen to or find if you, you haven't listened to it before. And the first one is about the PDAU, so the Pharmacist Defence Association Union, who took on boots to de-recognise a staff forum and have now gone, gone on to kind of get work towards uh, union recognition. And the reason I kind of highlight it is because it's not given the airtime. Not a lot of people know that this has been going on. And yet they have managed to build a union in the space of 10 years, which is in its, I think, 27,000. Yeah, large number. Something yeah. like that. It's huge. They've taken on a big employer in an industry which isn't particularly union friendly. Most of their work uh, in, uh, members are atomized in small kind of um, businesses or in small workspaces and yet they've managed to run a really successful campaign get lots of people involved lots of people engaged in this and overturn a really big decision and it's a landmark case well they re- they, 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 they rewrote the rule book they, they rewrote did, the standard yeah. paul paul day and his colleagues pulled off something that is it is unprecedented and when you think about the obstacles that they had to dismantle or get round or, or, or overcome an intransigent employer, an embedded yeah. sweetheart union, yeah. building your own membership base, legal thresholds. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, absolutely. I just think hats off to them and we need to be giving them more plaudits for such uh, excellent work that they've done. Um, I think given the fact that two of our podcasts were vaguely Swedish related... Well, very kind of Swedish related, <laughs> really. <laughs> I'm not going into 2019 thinking how can we be more Swedish, but I am going into 2019 thinking what are the core lessons from the success of those Swedish unions in building their uh, unions and in the relationship that they very, very clearly see around you build membership so that you have power and influence at work this idea that the landscape around them changes so they have to change with it in order that they can can maintain their collective bargaining coverage and that they can use that to the best of their abilities yeah if you if you if you listen back to that fantastic like a swede video clip you know if you if you if you haven't seen it or heard it google like a swede tco Mm. and and it will pop up on, on youtube for you but you listen to the lyrics of that and what it says about how industrial relations works in a dynamic, constructive way, with 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 people with a balance of forces almost between the two the, the two partners. Yeah. Without government intervention or without heavy heavy regulation, really interesting, thought provoking stuff. The video is just fantastic at explaining industrial relations in a country in a way that anybody can understand. And as far as I'm concerned, as the woman who sees most of the UK industrial relations through the prism of Postman Pat. Yeah, please, good, good CWU member, Postman yeah, Pat. Apparently so. Please see other podcasts for what, I, for what I'm referring to. You know, I just think that is incredibly, uh, incredibly great work that they've done. And and also the, the thing that has very clearly come to my mind is that they've done that change themselves. All of this kind of, they have high density. It's not because somebody's gifted it to them. They work incredibly hard to get it and to have it. Um, And part of that is recognising that change sometimes needs to happen. And it's just 
very very thought-provoking i don't think we are exact we're ever going to really be exactly where the swedes are but that again that wasn't an overnight success it wasn't just like one day they had this and the next day they didn't it's been 50 years in the making well and and, and frederick nilsson told us in a, a recent podcast you know he he'd been kind of like working at it five years solidly just to just to oh, protect Soderquist. And, 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 and Fred Soderquist as well was talking about the, the, the research background that informs mm. the organising mm. push. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't say we could or should all be like a Swede, but I mean, the buns are really good, so I mean, <laughs> do what you want. Yeah, mine's, a, mine's an espresso and a cinnamon roll, please. <laughs> so, anything else that, that particularly comes to mind as we look back? Well, I mean, I always enjoy talking to Charlotte Bentz from Equity and what I really, really loved about talking to her was just how much the union has invested in an area of work that it is untraditional for them. Back in 2014, we created the dedicated low pay, no pay organiser post. And that was not the first time that we've done you know, this kind of work, because we've always, you know, always addressed issues of unpayment and low payment within the industry. But the first time we had a dedicated industrial organiser to help, you know, to help spearhead mm. that work. That is really getting to grips with the idea of people who are low paid and no paid. And, and talking to Charlotte really helped me to understand the situation that unions such as Equity are in and their members are in and kind of and how I took some things around employment status for granted. I kind of assumed stuff around contractors and 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 workers a bit a bit much. And so she, it was really interesting to hear that. But also, uh, what I really what just sort of came to the fore for me on that is how much you need to do these things sometimes because it's the right thing to do, not necessarily because there's going to be huge acclaim to it, but they're doing this because it's the right thing to do for their members. And I just, I think it's fantastic. Certainly has high level of credibility and effectiveness. Yeah. I, I would say. Yeah. What about you, Simon? Well, Where are you at? Well, I, I, I just think it, 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 what's been a joy uh, for me, and I hope for you as well, listeners, is, is the number of, of just really interesting people we've, we've got to speak to. And yeah. the, way, the, way, the way they felt confident with just you, me, two microphones and an audience of thousands out there to open up <laughs> with their... With things they never normally say. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, we. I, I think about the people we spoke to. I mean, Angela Eagle when she described her book, the, the New Serfdom. Mm -hmm. I, I I never realised what a good storyteller is kind of the wrong word, but the way in which she frames her arguments, it's yeah. absolutely logical. It's compelling. It's you know, I it's mean, great narrative. It's a great, it's a it's a great narrative, and the movement needs narratives. They need it for inspiration and understanding and so on and that was that was that was I was really struck by that a kind of the other kind of en end of the scale when you and I went to see Michelle Stanistreet mm -hmm. at, at the NUJ and we started talking about uh, about kind of the, the Time's Up Me Too sort of campaign the gender uh, the gender pay row in the, in the BBC Michelle's story about why why she felt compelled as general secretary to take her maternity leave mm. was really I mean whoa, you know I mean that was that was tingles down the spine I, I, I don't know that there's been any or other gen, being a general secretary and no. having it was really it was, uh, it was having really exciting. A, a baby in that way. It yeah, felt yeah. kind of quite exposed, and I struggled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, when I was first, I was thinking, well, I'm not going to 
not going to be able to have um, maternity leave. But you know, that became more of a, actually I absolutely have to have make yeah. sure I do take yeah, maternity yeah. leave. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, That's I didn't a kind take of glass my, ceiling issue almost, isn't it? You know yeah. what I could have taken, but and, and actually I was working throughout. But it, I felt it then actually to be a big responsibility to be seen to be doing it. <laughs> That was a, a really compelling story, which which resonates so widely. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if ever, you know, I remember you and her discussing how how yeah, how, that was interesting actually. But uh, it turned into something we hadn't uh, appreciated, and afterwards you were kind of quite. It felt like an everyday conversation that I have with my sort of female peers, and you were quite like, "Oh wow!" Like it, I, I, yeah, it was it. Sadly, it's not a conversation I have every day with my male peers, yeah, and, and well, that's the root of the problem, isn't it? Yeah, so, so, you know, or the challenge, I, I, I suppose. I, I, and then, and then the third in this triumvirate uh, of, of, of voices that we, we we've we've heard was was Amy Levisage from the, from mm. uh, the, the FDA talking about the absolute need for independent an independent complaints mechanism in the Palace of Westminster. Yeah, uh, and describing exactly what the day-to-day reality of working in that place is like for for, for her her members. So I, I think it's often we say it's the issues, it's not the people, but in reality, it's 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 the combination of the two, isn't it? Yeah, you can have the best issue in the world, but if it's being presented in a really dry, boring <laughs> way, you're not going to really pay attention, are you? <laughs> no, but also I think the thing that came out with the conversation with Amy is that you also have to be at the right place at the right time with the right issue and take advantage of that. And that they've been working solidly on that bullying and harassment stuff for years behind the scenes and now you've, you've kind of, it's coalesced at the right time and the union is just wrong with it. I, I think that's true. And that, that harks back to the discussion we had with Matthew Taylor before his review was published, way back mm-hmm. at, the, at the beginning of the year, where what Matthew was saying, and it was backed up really by Gavin Kelly as well from, from the Resolution Trust, who was saying that, both of them were saying in their own ways, look, the zeitgeist has changed now. Yeah. I mean, I remember Gavin saying to us, look, I, I see far more the headlines of union wins. <laughs> There's no one, you know, there's not going to be some great strategy paper which sets out the what should be done differently because this is going to be the thoughts and activities of lots of disparate people yeah, yeah. who all, you know, coming, many of whom will be trade union organisers and reps today, mm. some of whom won't be. And I actually think it's too easy for people who sit in think tanks or indeed in foundations to sort of say, well, look at the state of kind of the the working environment for today's young people, why aren't trade unions doing X? I think some of that, there's a, you know, I do some of that myself and I think there's a role for it, but I tell you what, there's a complete kind of absence of initiative, I also think, from today's big foundations. And I, I don't want to, I'm involved in that world mm. and we're doing our own little thing, belatedly, we should have done more earlier. But I mean, where, where you know, we as civil society need to be saying, how do we collectively improve the world of work for today's young across the board but particularly mm. for young people in my view mm. and I think part of that is about trade unions clearly that they're the sort of yeah. central agency in that but I also think other groups need to be coming together in new ways and I've, I've been astounded since I've got more active in this area there just wasn't a relationship there's barely any relationship between the labour movement large foundations people in the tech community yeah. And actually, there need to be there needs to be a fluidity between those things. So you need people, you need trade unions stepping up, but you need other people stepping up too to create the spaces, if you like, the infrastructure which will allow new ways of trying to improve the plight of work. I think that's true up to a point. The problem is that 
there is still some really entrenched malevolent forces that want to exploit and exclude rather than to recognise that, that actually we're all better off if we all work collaboratively in pursuit of a common good. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm just an old-fashioned lefty. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right with me. I'll go with that one. I don't particularly think of myself as old-fashioned. Maybe I'm just... I'm vintage. Um, that's the new but, thing. But, but actually, in all of the things, you can see a running theme, I think, through all of, all of the people that we've spoken to this year, I think, that that what happens in one industry is what's going on in another. It just takes a different flavour. It's all the same kind of ice cream. It's just a slightly different flavour of ice cream. Can I have wafers with mine? <laughs> it's not that I've got a very well with this podcast or anything. Sorry, channeling Monty Python there. For those of you who didn't quite get the, uh, the, the yeah. illusion there. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's not just it's not just the, the the issues the specific issues in specific places though is it because our masterclass series, uh, which featured almost evergreen stories or best practice stories. Mike Pansy, Mary Bowsted, Claire Sullivan, Gary Elliott, and Peter Bloom. Peter Bloom. Right, was was were about issues like the renaissance of, of private sector bargaining, the role CPD plays in getting people active and engaged in the unions, how you organise across borders. What technology looks like, you know, the idea, the idea of a gaming approach to organising. I thought yeah, that yeah. Peter discussed in his podcast with us was uh, was excellent, and also um, still my favourite of, of, of the bunch. And you know, it's a bit of a niche in interest. Union governance and what Claire <laughs> described has been happening in the Chart Society of Physiotherapists. Yeah. Now these are things that, that that actually have a resonance, not just in the immediate period following the podcast being recorded, but but more generally. Yeah, they're evergreen issues. I kind of think i i think so too mm. Mm. so i mean so if you draw the threads together and yeah. you ha you, it, your challenge is should you choose to accept it is to sum up 2018's activities in three sentences or less that was all right wasn't it that's less <laughs> <laughs> i'm not a trade unionist if i'm going for under the allocation i would say go on so my three sentences or less is what is the common thread between all of the subjects and all of the people and all of the discussions, semicolon, it is. <laughs> it, it, it is the importance of collective voice, the importance of, of, of people being able to express their concerns about work, their aspirations for the future, for the future to communicate their, their successes in the most effective way, given the greatly changed nature of economic activity yeah. that, that, that we're looking at. And as ever, and as we, we've discussed and championed, if you look at David Barr's model of strategic choice, it's about what gives you capacity and influence. Yeah, actually, I think that neatly sums up our year of discussions with people, is we've actively sought to find stories which talk around changes of capacity to link into change, to changes of influence. How can unions kind of change, make small changes? So going back to Taylor, and Matthew Taylor was very kind of clear that the RSA model is about small changes to have big impact, right? You don't have to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to changing a union, but you can make small changes that can have big impact. You can manoeuvre your union around so that when the situation presents itself, you can take advantage of it. And ultimately, we are all facing very similar problems and our capability to keep our movement relevant, to keep our organisations, to keep our unions relevant, however you want to frame that, right, 
is all about our capacity to look at what other people are doing, adapt it and try something new. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing in 2019, I think, isn't it? Yeah. The Commission for Collective Voice, which we'll report in the spring, is, is the next staging post on the way to working out how we organise to best effect, yeah. both, to, both to protect what we have and expand our, our, our influence yeah. in, in, the, in the modern economy. And there you go. That's us. That's 2018 <laughs> all done, everyone. Well done, us. <laughs> Listeners, it's been our absolute pleasure to have you, your company, for this podcast and for all those that, that, that preceded it. We couldn't do this without you. We're very grateful to those of you who have commented, written in with your ideas, written in to say how much you you like what we're doing and and the other one or two that said mm, didn't think that was quite right but i haven't had that you can't please they, everyone all the time you're sure that was the, the podcast was that just you <laughs> probably just me <laughs> I, my taste in shirts does not appeal to everyone i can i have to tell you we we have listeners uh, around around the world so if you're listening to this in canada or the us or australia or new zealand or, or Norway, sweden or sweden <laughs> Or one of the 18 countries on the continent of Africa, or any of these places, um, we are so so grateful to you for choosing to spend some of your time with, with us. We hope you found it useful. As ever, we'd love your views on the debate. You can email us at info@unions21.org.uk. You can tweet us at unions21. Please do subscribe or follow us on the podcast provider of your choice. Please also rate us and tell your friends that it exists. If you're a union geek and you like what you hear, I bet you've got friends who are union geeks as well. Indeed. And if you're just an ordinary union member, let alone a union geek, and you like what you hear, I'm sure you've got friends full stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope you have a happy and peaceful holiday season. We'll be back in the new year, probably about the middle of January. Yep. With our new series, Series 4 of the Unis 21 podcast. Series 4, everyone. So, until then. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>